Hello and welcome to Regional Classics, a podcast from the University of Oxford, which reflects and celebrates the diverse voices of Oxford classicists, past and present, from different parts of the UK, all the while creating thought-provoking conversations, breaking down barriers, and showing that if you want to study the ancient world, any aspect, politics, history, art, science, literature, culture, and much more, then you can. Oxford classicists do not and need not come from only a narrow cross-section of society. And in this series of interviews, I'm speaking to current Oxford classicists from across the British Isles. Firstly, I'm joined by Leo Kershaw, a DPhil student researching decolonial approaches to receptions of Greek tragedy, especially Euripides' Medea, as performed in South Africa since 1800. He's now studying at Balliol College and previously did his undergraduate degree at Lady Margaret Hall. Prior to that, he was brought up in Hertfordshire and North London, and here he tells us about his own first experiences of learning about the ancient world. So I was homeschooled up until GCSEs, which I mostly taught myself, and we did most of the standard subjects, so English, history, math, science, all of that. But in my spare time, I did a lot of reading. That was my main hobby, and that's where I really got into mythology, and I would do little projects by myself on ancient Greece and ancient Rome. I would look up Latin sayings and try to figure out what they meant and how the English equated to the Latin. But I didn't have any formal teaching in classics and I didn't have any Latin or Greek until I came to university. My sixth form didn't offer either language, although I was really lucky to have a great classical civilizations A-level teacher who taught me a little bit of Latin on the side, but nowhere near enough to um, apply for a course here for which you'd already have the language. And how do you think that having taught yourself GCSEs, which is a fantastic achievement, and being home educated prepared you as well for Oxford, both the course and also the style of studying at university? I think it gave me a lot of drive. I was always very self-motivated. So transitioning to university wasn't too difficult on the academic side as I was very used to guiding my own studies. There is a step up from school, obviously, but for me, it wasn't a totally new thing not having information delivered to me and being told, here, go read this and then figure out how to write an essay on that. And that was something I was quite used to and adapted to quite comfortably. And it's one of the ways I really like working. So I think in a, in a way that did help. Amy Cousins is a second year classicist at Magdalen College. And here she talks about what it was like coming to Oxford from a state comprehensive school in Kings Lynn in West Norfolk. I think because I, I also did like the classics bridging program uh, like a month before term started. So like September of 2020, I got to grips a bit with the city and like where things are, you know, how long it takes to get from A to B and that type of thing. So I think when I came in October, it was mostly just getting to know my college, which, you know, like I've really enjoyed. Magdalen has the deer park and like it's really big and pretty. So it's been nice. Um, I think doing classics like you, you don't feel like you're immediately kind of in the deep end obviously it's intense with the language lessons every day but you still it still kind of feels like you're being eased into it a bit so it's not too bad like I really enjoyed my first term yeah I think that it was kind of a really good way to get into the course. Alice Main is a classical archaeology and ancient history student at Lincoln College and she's originally from the Isle of Man situated in the Irish Sea, equidistant between England, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Here she tells us more about coming from the Isle of Man and the sorts of opportunities that she had to engage with the ancient world. Well, I wouldn't say that we studied classics at all. Um, it's not really offered on the island. 
most of what I did was sort of either by myself or with my pet sort of with my parents going on trips to England to look at hill forts and Hadrian's Wall and things like that um, but the island um, we do have an awful lot of archaeology on the island but it's not classical archaeology if you understand me mm-hmm. um, it's more Iron Age Neolithic that sort of thing which is very interesting so that was another very enjoyable aspect of my childhood sort of wandering around all these different ship burials and things and um, which I actually started doing again over lockdown coming back to my school uh, we, may, we mainly did 20th century history. So my only real interaction with classics was probably through my extended project, which is a 5,000 word essay on a subject of your choice. And uh, you have to do your own research and think up of your own question and you're sort of sent away with, with help from a teacher. Mm-hmm. And you have to write this essay. So I decided to do Roman Britain because at that time, that was what I had the most experience of it. You could call it experience <laughs> with my own nosing around various guidebooks and websites and things like that. And how do you think that your background has impacted your studies at Oxford so far? Lots of people here haven't heard of the Isle of Man, let's put it that way, which I wouldn't hold it, hold it against them. We are quite small. But my tutor and the lecturers that I interact with have really been wonderful. Like I don't feel, I mean, I can say it now with hindsight, that all of the worries I had about not fitting in because of fact that I hadn't done classics and Greek and Latin were pretty much unfounded I would say. Here's Amy talking further about her educational background. Um, For GCSE my school was like obviously really good because I was able to do Latin and ancient history but for my A-levels because I was the only one who wanted to do anything like that it obviously didn't run and the nearest schools to me that like offered A-levels and classics were like 40 50 miles away so there was just like no chance that I was gonna be able to do it for A-levels so I kind of had to choose other things that I like I did maths which I did not enjoy but it was just like basically a filler subject because I was good at it um and I couldn't do what I actually wanted to do I kind of had to like keep up in my own time and like I didn't really mind that because I was just reading stuff that I enjoyed but like I think it would have been better obviously if I'd have been able to do it at school but I just like it wasn't really I suppose, geographically possible. Um, any barriers? I think I was intimidated by the fact that I didn't have Latin or Greek. I'd had a small taste of ancient Greek when I came to a summer school hosted in Oxford called Unique, uh, which is aimed at state school students. That had given me about five, five hours worth of Greek, but it was nerve wracking. And I didn't have uh, a modern foreign language for A-level either. I dropped French at GCSE. So that was probably... Um, the most challenging aspect. I also found applying quite daunting because I have anxiety and the idea of having interviews um, is terrifying, but everyone in my interviews is actually really friendly. And I think there's quite, there's kind of a myth surrounding Oxford interviews that the, the interviews are, interviewers are there to intimidate you and ask you impossible questions. And at least I found that that wasn't the case at all. They were just trying to, they tried to make me comfortable, first of all, um, and they just wanted to have a conversation with me and see how I would volley with them back and forth so yeah I think all of my preconceptions about how intimidating people kind of shattered when I actually did apply. Translations of ancient texts of the primary sources are such a a great way and a great window as you say into the past and to understanding that literature which otherwise isn't necessarily accessible to us if we've not studied Latin or Greek or um, Mm -hmm. 
had those opportunities and yet I think sometimes it is is, is forgotten about or there's a, almost a perceived view that oh reading it in translation isn't the real deal it's not the real thing so it's not worthwhile um <laughs> you know what, what would you say to that um firstly I think it's a bit ridiculous <laughs> um say oh well it is and it isn't ridiculous you'll probably get some extra depth in reading from the original text but I wouldn't know because that's not something I I'm able to do at the moment um, but I say probably, I don't think there's anything really wrong with reading text and translation. I mean, if you have a good commentary, uh, which often comes very helpfully with translations, it would be quite difficult to go wrong. Uh, if you can call it going wrong, you're just, at the end of the day, you're just interpreting the information someone else has given you. I think at the time at school, probably the only interaction I had with text and translation was probably the Iliad and the Odyssey, more specifically the um, Robert Fagel's edition. <laughs> I really loved um, and then coming up to Oxford and encountering Herodotus and Thucydides so yeah I think it would be you're discounting a whole swathe of people who maybe don't have access to learning languages by say by just rejecting the idea of text and translation. Separately Amy answered the same question. Um I think that there's something to kind of reading the original text that you can never really get away from like it Doing your own translation is as close to the original text as you can get. Whereas if you if you're reading someone else's translation, then you're already kind of one step back from how the kind of author intended it to be. So if you can read it yourself, you're really getting like as much of the richness as you can. And obviously, you can go back over it, and every time you'll like notice new things or like pick up on different kinds of nuances. And so I feel like kind of it's like a skill that is so kind of like integral to me that I feel like it should kind of it should be on offer for more people like anyone who's kind of interested in classics should have the opportunity to do it rather than it being kind of focused in like specific pockets of the country or like in specific kinds of schools I feel like it should definitely be like a lot more widely available. I asked Leo to tell me one thing that he'd really loved about doing his classics degree. I loved the chance to um, learn both ancient languages from scratch, Greek and Latin. I didn't have much experience in languages at school, but then coming to university, I realised that I really do love learning new languages and being able to learn Greek and then Latin from scratch has really encouraged me to pick up more languages myself. So I'm currently studying modern Greek, Italian, I've gone back to French and I'm teaching myself Afrikaans at the moment. absolutely love that classics has given me a skill to be able to go off and study a language by myself. Um, so that's definitely one thing, kind of a nerdy answer. Um, but that's one thing that I love about this degree. And um, what was the second part of the question? Well, the second part was about your more general Oxford experience. But I just want to pick up actually what you said there about building skills and certainly mm-hmm. that that familiarity with languages and being able to apply it to different, including modern languages. Um, what, what are the other skills that you think your degree has, has given you so far? So many, because we get a taste in so many different humanities disciplines, I think we pick up skills from all of them. The kind of history and archeological approach has given, given me an analytical skills that I had a, a taste at at A-level when I was doing history, but really has deepened here um, at Oxford. Philosophy I found so challenging, but it really made me think about how we define things and how we explain things and how nuance can make such a big difference in interpreting. That's been a brain exercise that I'd never experienced before. And 
I didn't take any philosophy modules after the compulsory one because I found it um, so kind of overwhelming, but it is something that I think has affected how I approach every other aspect of my studies um, since. We write so many essays for classes here. Um, on average, we write about two a week and each essay is about 2000 words. So I really gained the ability to organize my thoughts and put together coherent arguments and check for evidence, check for facts, check for interpretation. I think it really has strengthened my writing abilities an awful lot since, since I left school. I feel like you really kind of build like a whole different range of skills. You're learning a language and you're also doing like we do a philosophy module. So looking at that type of thing. And so you're doing like some critical thinking and, you know, for all your essays, you're reading all these different sources and taking in a lot of information at quite like a fast pace. And so you're building skills related to that. When you look at the literature, there's like obviously like literary analysis and then you do your like commentaries there's a lot going on and like you can look at like material culture so you're developing archaeological skills as well so like I don't know it's just a good all-round subject I think. Well the generic ones with uh, all Oxford courses, um, time management, essay writing, um, all of those useful things. Also using computers, um, <laughs> it's made me a better typist um, in a basic sense but probably on a more serious note Archaeology is brilliant for observational skills. So sort of looking at objects and interpreting what's in front of you. And also with the ancient history aspect, analysing texts as well, which is always a useful skill to have if you want to go into any sort of humanities-based profession, like law and journalism. Um, but archaeology can also be quite useful for other sort of more cre creative things like art mm -hmm. and maybe even going into the sciences perhaps because... I'm encountering science-based methods a bit more because as all people are probably prone to, ancient sources are very prone to exaggeration. And sometimes archaeological sources aren't always what you expect them to be or aren't as helpful as you expect them to be. So to use an example, uh, completely away from written sources, this is very much archaeology now. I've recently been doing a module on Homeric archaeology. We were looking at the destruction of the Mycenaean palaces and there are some various working theories it could be fire damage or earthquakes or attacks by another civilization but unfortunately when you look at the archaeological record at uh, the destruction horizons which is what you call say a sort of an element of a palace or an area that's been destroyed uh, in the archaeological record an earthquake and an attack by something else someone someone or something else and a fire all look very similar so you have to be quite careful if you're making assumptions using archaeology yes that's really interesting how neither as you say discipline can necessarily be foolproof and that the combination of the two is in some ways perhaps the safest method of of historical investigation classics as we know is a broad subject and here leo tells us just some of the areas that he's covered across multiple degrees at oxford for my undergraduate course, I took all of the compulsory modules that everyone who does the classics course does. But beyond that, I chose to specialise quite heavily in Greek tragedy and the reception of um, Greek drama and Greek mythology. For my undergrad, I did my reception paper on, actually that was on, um, not on Greek tragedy at all, it was on Ovidian um, myths of gender transformation and its reception in modern poetry. One of my favourite aspects was looking at a collection of spoken word poems by the non-binary rapper 
and poet Kay Tempest. And I found that so fascinating as they have taken these myths that are told by a Roman poet and made and situated them in the modern day. Um, but beyond that, I've done lots of work looking at how Greek tragedy has been received since the Romantic period, so um, late 18th, early 19th century onwards. And that led me to do my master's in reception pretty much of Greek tragedy, Greek satyr play. And then has led to me starting a PhD on the reception of Euripides Medea, a Greek tragedy in South Africa over the last 200 years. So there's definitely a strong continuation from what I did back at A-level at undergrad to what I'm doing now. How else do you feel that the ancient past has informed your understanding of the modern world? I mean, we see it in all sorts of aspects of society. I'm hesitant to say that we've seen it in like the foundings of democracy and and um, bridge structures and everything like that, because while that's true, it's kind of leads into the idea that classics was the foundation of so-called Western civilization. I don't think that's really the case. I think classics has a global influence, both positively and negatively, and it's important that we don't put too much emphasis on the positives and overlook the negative impact it's had, such as on colonialism and hold, upholding imperialist legacies. But I do think that classics has an important role um, in helping unpick all of that and all these kind of discussions, especially recently with so much attention brought to, you know, Black Lives Matter and kind of international scene. I think that's enabled us to all become very introspective and look at how our disciplines interact with that. And I think classics has a lot it can teach us about its role in that history and how we can advance from that. I think it's an excellent answer. I think you've got really there to the heart of the problem in terms of trying to use the past, but in the correct way, but use it as a lens to view how the past has then been received. It's constantly evolving, isn't it? I think how we view classics yeah. is in that sense. The, we cannot escape ancient history. We cannot escape how the past has affected us and how we can hopefully use that to learn and to, and to build in the future. But it's a very complex and, and, and nuanced thing, which as, as you said, I don't know if you think if there are any more of sort of pressing issues that face the discipline today and there are some places in which it's harder to study classics or a version of it because of how it's sort of perceived politically. How do you think we can sure. to enjoy classics in the future? Yeah, for sure. I think that's actually one reason why I chose to study the reception of Medea in South Africa, because classics there has such an inherent link to colonialism and white supremacism. And over the last 30 or 40 years, we've really seen the discipline change for the better and it's become a lot more integrated, diverse and multicultural. And I think um, it's a really exciting moment for how classics is being approached internationally. Um, we see voices who are pre previously subjugated reclaiming the classics and turning into something that is empowering. And I think that's so exciting and that's what I'd really like to see happen more with classics. And onto a, a different and also complex question here as Amy discusses how one barrier to studying classics can be the name itself. I mean, every time I've kind of said that, like, oh, I'm doing classics, people always think I mean, like, Charles Dickens and, like, the Bronte sisters and stuff. So, I don't know, for outsiders, it's maybe, like, a, like people who don't really know what it is in the first place. It's a bit confusing, but I feel like it doesn't necessarily completely kind of encompass the whole discipline anymore. Like, I've heard the name kind of, like, ancient Mediterranean studies mentioned around and like I I'm not really kind I feel like I'm not really in the position to kind of make a judgment on it but I feel like classics is perhaps not exactly the right way to describe it anymore because like it is a bit broader than just 
Like, I feel like classics focus is more on text and it is obviously a lot broader than just the texts. You know, there's a lot more to it than just some just some plays and poetry, you know. Throughout the Regional Classics podcast, we have, of course, been breaking down myths and barriers. So here are a couple of more myth-busting examples for you. Are there any other myths, Alice, that you think um, could be dispelled about classics or about Oxford or about your experience so far? I went to a comprehensive school, um, although we don't really have the same school system on the island. Uh, We don't have grammar schools and things like that. So I was rather nervous um, when I came here that everyone probably went to some form of selective or private school, um, which there's nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong. But I wasn't expecting Oxford to be as, should we say, educationally diverse as it is. Yeah, I think the idea that classics is an elite subject, there are elements um, which makes it easier for people who have come from privileged backgrounds to apply for and to study but I don't think classics itself is inherently elite. It's just as possible for someone um, to come study classics who hasn't studied it before, who hasn't been to a private school, who doesn't know any ancient language. Um, And there are so many aspects of classics that can appeal to people who haven't had any formal training in it. Classics is still kind of all over the place from, I think fairly recently, Lizzo released a music video to her song Rumours, which is it's kind of like Disney's Hercules, except with Lizzo and other artists, and they embody pottery from ancient Greece and um, Greek goddesses and muses. And I think that's such a cool way to kind of continue classics and, and make it more appealing to a modern audience, um, even if it's someone who, you know, isn't herself a classicist. And we see all sorts of books coming out recently, um, like Madeline Miller's uh, Circe and Song of Achilles, Pat Barker, all these books that are inspired by mythology and catered towards a modern audience, a teen audience, the young young adult audience, um, whatever way you became interested in classics is valid. Like for me, it was um, kids mythology and historical fiction books. Um, and that's just as valid as someone who's been studying Latin since they were in year seven. Certainly. And is there anything else that you would say perhaps to your former self or to a student in a similar position, either home educated or at a state school and not able to access classics? Some advice that you would give them looking back? Um, I would just say that if you think this is something that you want to do, go for it. You don't necessarily or in any way have a disadvantage because of what background you're coming from. If you've got the enthusiasm and the interest and the willingness to put the effort in and to learn, you've got just a good chance, good as chance as any of getting in and having a brilliant time here at Oxford. And on that note, this episode draws to a close. And I want to say thank you to Leo, Alice and Amy for all of their contributions and their time in taking part in this episode of the Regional Classics podcast. Thank you too for listening. And you can find out more information about classics at Oxford on our website, as well as looking through all the previous episodes of this podcast, available on Oxford Podcasts via the Classics at Oxford website and on Apple Podcasts too.